everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of Respawn Aim Fire. We have a pretty sad episode this week, actually. A lot of things oh. are going away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm holding the part of the way, and this is my Chad Michael friend here. Yep. Okay, so we get into the sad stuff. A lot of sad things happened this week. So we're going to start with a really sad one, then we're going to get some happier stuff, and then we're going to add on a sad note. Doesn't that sound fun? I'm excited. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so excited. We're going to start off with Telltale. You guys have heard about this. This happened pretty much just over the weekend, pretty recently, but it, so much has happened with the story. There's a lot to catch up on. So I've broken the story down into five acts. Five Can things I- that... Yeah. Can I interject for a second? No, you cannot, Jack. I would love to split this up into two parts. One tiny part at the beginning, and then the second part. I want to split this up into Telltale is closed. Holy shit. What does that mean? And then but, the second part of, like, all the bullshit surrounding it. Well, I want to tell the story in order and kind of how it played out. It's kind of interesting how it started. I just want your reactions to it closing. That's it. We'll we'll get to that, yeah. In closing, okay. we'll get to the reaction. Right. I just wanted to like lay out the story and just how we plan this out ahead of time. <laughs> um, so one is that they it started off with just an announcement that Telltale was laying off their staff. They were going to be down to twenty five employees, which I guess isn't super surprising because last November they also dropped their staff down by they got twenty five percent of their staff was laid off. So they had a big cutoff last November, and then now they went from, I think they were at 275 for their employees down to right. 25. So a massive, massive loss of employees there. There's talk of it being because of their toxic management, but the details were kind of vague at first. Um, at the time, U.S. Gamer had a source saying that the closure was going to be complete and that it was going to be a complete closure of the of the company, that employees weren't going to be getting their severance, which is ridiculous, and that they're going to have a skeleton crew staying. The 25 employees staying, according to U.S. Gamer, were going to be working on the Minecraft story mode for Netflix, but the Walking Dead final season would be canceled, which turned out to be true. And that the interactive Stranger Things um, story that was being worked on, Netflix is just going to take that and, and continue doing their thing with it. So that's part one, where we kind of heard some stuff, some rumors coming around. And then Kevin Bruner, um, who was a co-founder of Telltale, made a statement of the potential, potential closer, which of course he was sad about because he co-founded the company. But everything he said seemed very suggestive that he kind of knew this was going to happen, it's not surprising, and that it was closing even though it hadn't really been said yet. He said... That he's saddened at the loss of a studio that greenlit crazy ideas that no one um, would ever consider, no one else would consider. That's not the language of that would make sense of what would be reported at the time. At the time, we had just heard that they'd laid off people. Now it was that, according to him, that they were closing the doors. So he either knew right. something ahead of time, or he just kind of figured it was going to happen because he knew the background. I mean, he did leave because of disagreements. So then. It became official. Telltale said they're going to be closing down the studio. Um, they said they're going to be doing a majority clo- um, studio closure. So basically the 25 people left are going to be there for until the end, which then will officially close. And this is because of, quote-unquote, insurmountable challenges that they faced. They ran out of time as they set the company on a new course. And it turns out that 
um, some more information that came out, not from Telltale directly, that there was actually this was from Telltale directly, that there were failed financing is kind of what caused this, that they were at a final round of financing. And the last moment someone pulled out, which caused them to abruptly have to close their doors. And that allegedly was Lionsgate. That's according to Variety. Variety looked into that to find out that it was um, Lionsgate. Right. Lionsgate had like had talked about making a deal with them for an interactive live action thing. And apparently it's worth as much as like $40 million contract. And mm-hmm. it was still not like set in stone. And they were a potential um, source of financing. Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, just kidding. We're going to take our stuff elsewhere. Yeah. And that, I guess, was all the money that Telltale was hoping to rely yeah, on. Yeah, like a final straw. Or yeah. the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Because they're having problems for a while as well. So final two acts here, really quick. So they it then got announced by Telltale on Twitter. They said they actually might have had some potential backers to help them with the Walking Dead final season to, to complete it. Episode two is releasing today, so that is that is out right now. Um, there was some controversy when they said this, though, because and actually um, Corey Barlog, who uh, was the director of God of War this year, he kind of came out and criticized Telltale, saying, "Hey, if you're going to make this final season before you've paid severance to your employees, like you have to do the severance first before you finance two more episodes of this game." Right. So that was kind of crappy, and then. Apparently, this is a very recent development. The full season pass option for the Walking Dead final season is gone. So you can't, it's been paused, is, is the term they're using. So maybe they don't have firm footing on, on backers to that project yet. We don't really know. But if they said, hey, we might have backers, and then they pause it, maybe they didn't have as solid backing as they might have thought, or they need to pause it while they figure out details. I think the details they need to figure out are the next point in your lineage here. Yes, exactly. So the final act is, and this is just for Chad's point here, the employees are suing Telltale. And the reason they're um, suing Telltale is that there's basically what's called the WARN Act, which is the Worker Adjustment and Retraining um, Retraining Notification Act. And it basically says that if you're an employer who has over 100 employees, if you're going to be closing a plant or having any sort of mass layoff, which is defined as 50 people within a month, um, if you don't notify your 100 employees within 60 days of a plant closing or a mass layoff, then you're going to face serious fines for this. Um, in this situation, workers are also complaining that health coverage was dropped um, for them at the end of the month, which is really just a few days of coverage. It's like a week of coverage at that point. Well, the uh, the fines that you had mentioned, they're not traditional fines like, oh, you owe this much money to the state, mm-hmm. the government, whatever it is. The the money they pay actually legally has to go towards any missed benefits and full yes. pay that those employees would have had over those 60 days. Exactly. Exactly. So it's tough because I, I don't know the, 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 the law here, but they say plant closing or, or mass layoff. I'm not sure what they mean by plant closing. Does that mean one of the plants that the company in question would have had closes versus the whole company closing? Is there a no, distinction it's, there? It's or a, is it that the whole company counts as a company? Okay. So like if you lay off a mass percentage of your company, it doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess in the language of the law, it was you know it was written in 1988. In the language of the law, it's written yeah. in like, oh, big manufacturing plants and things like that. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously video game developers were not necessarily a big thing back then. They weren't interesting, but um, I wonder why. Yeah, so the hundred plus employees, uh, 
is the federal part of it. There's also mm-hmm. a more strict California part that has said, nope, if it's 75 or more employees, you have to... Which they were over anyway. Yeah, they were already laying off 250 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the thing that makes it part of that is no cause and no notice. Yeah, that was the part is no cause. I mean, the cause thing is, well, the cause is they didn't have money, which I guess is cause, but... No, I, cause I, I means, know like, means like, hey, you did employee, something wrong in your job yeah, and exactly. that led to you getting fired. But it is kind of strange. I don't know... I, I'm not a judge, but for me, I'd focus more on the 60 days part of it. Either way, they're in the wrong. They're in the wrong, yeah. And I think the way to look at it is they were in a situation where they knew that it was make or break for this one deal. They needed to let their employees know about that well before they didn't get the deal. Which, like a long time before. They should have known well in advance this was going to happen. There are so many times when this company should have known. <laughs> when the the people in charge of this company should have said something or spoke up first of all when your entire company's future hinges on Lionsgate and that's not even a sure thing you should mm-hmm. be looking for other revenue streams yeah when this quote other revenue stream just comes out of the woodwork and says hey we want to help you finish episode three and four of walking dead why didn't they seek out that funding from those people yep. before they said oh by the way we're just closing everything down so the revenue should have been a. Uh, they should be definitely more transparent with their employees. Be like, listen, we only have enough money. We're gonna make it to this. We're in this round of funding with these people. Mm-hmm. Like, transparency is definitely key there. Obviously, by law, thank you to the Warren Law, but also like, well, they were clearly in serious trouble if they got rid of two hundred and fifty out of their two seventy five employees. Clearly. Like, this was not a small hurdle they were on. It was massive. Yeah, they but should have laid off more employees earlier. Like, there are other things they could have done. What's what's kind of egregious, and this is to Corey Barlog's point, is that all of these people mm-hmm. literally got told, you don't have a job anymore. You have 30 minutes to get out of the building. They were allowed three hours to come back in today and get all their shit. And then that's it. Their health care runs out September 30th. They mm-hmm. get zero severance. Some of these people have families. They don't have money to relocate. They have That's time that they're not getting paid uh, most of their staff was contractors, which means that they don't get unemployment because contract is up. Great. You don't have to worry. You you cannot go. You were not a, an employee of that company. You were a contractor they hired. So many of these people can't even get unemployment to help pay while they look for a new job. And then they come out and say the next day in a tweet, by the way, we might be finishing. We found some extra money. We might be finishing these two episodes. And you're like, no. Oh, as an employee, I'd be goes, so pissed. Oh, yeah. That money goes to your employees. That money goes – well, obviously, if you think you're going to be able to spend that money on make, – I don't know how much money they're getting. But if you think you're going to be able to spend that money on finishing episode three and four of Walking Dead, good luck after this lawsuit makes you first pay 60 days worth of benefits and full pay to all of these people. And mm-hmm. then you can see what you have left over to finish. Second, yeah. who's going to make these episodes? That tiny team yeah, of 25 exactly. people? Or are you going to hire these people back for two more months? Mm-hmm. Are they even going to want to come back after they, with 30 minutes notice, told, hey, you have to get out of the building? Yeah, exactly. Like, and if they come back, are they going to do a great job? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of them would be like, you know what? I enjoyed my time at Telltale. I have friends there. I enjoyed working there. Some of them are like, you know what? I have no other fucking option right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to work there while I look for other jobs. 
but yeah, there would be a lot of people who'd be like, no, fuck you. I'm not coming back. Make your game on your own. Yeah. Well, I even think people going back, though, their primary option is not, I'm going back because I want to finish this game. It's, I need something when I look for a job. And their exactly. primary focus is going to be looking for that job, not making the game for Telltale. Right. So oh, it, what a it's depressing just, story. Very depressing. And so out of nowhere, like, I really thought this was a company that was on very stable footing. Sometimes companies make layoffs because, you know, hey, we want to shift directions. They said they wanted to shift directions. So I never took the layoff as necessarily a super bad thing. Right. When Especially companies change directions, they do management that. And... Yeah, it's it was very surprising because it seemed like they were doing really well, and I I didn't get a chance to really delve into the numbers. Also, these would be really daunting numbers to look at, but to look at how many games they're releasing per year and how that expanded from 2012 and on when the first season of Walking Dead yeah. came out. But the reason it's daunting is they release these games on every platform imaginable. So it's they just, might, it's probably, they were probably stretching themselves way too thin. That's true, which you can see in the fact that they never updated their engine. They were excited yeah. to release their next new project. I think it was Netflix's Stranger Things was going to be on the new Unity engine. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just so crazy to think that like no one is immune. Even a, yeah. a company that we thought, you know, Telltale, everyone thought, oh, yeah, that's a top-tier developer. Well, they're, that's, they're unique. No one else is doing what they're doing. yeah. And they're working with Marvel. They're working with DC. Mm-hmm. They're working with Netflix to create all of the HBO. They have yep. all of these partnerships. And then literally with 30 minutes notice, the whole company is dissolved. That's insane. It's very Enron-like. Although Enron was definitely more malicious, but... That's insane. This is a very Enron feel to it. I, I'm very curious to hear the, the story afterwards like what happened internally oh there's going to be a jason schreier article there's going to be a oh, daniel sure. dwyer no clip there's going to yep. be this is going to be cracked wide open and oh, with how, i cannot with wait how i'm very curious to hear the story on twitter about it already like yeah mm-hmm. this is going to come out pretty soon absolutely when i say i cannot wait i don't mean like i'm excited because obviously the people who lost their jobs is terrible but i'm like really curious to hear what happened behind the scenes because i yeah. think it's something that, that we could learn from as well because it kind of had everything going for them Everything but that engine. I don't. I know Everybody personally. Engine, yeah. I know personally. I but, I played a lot of Telltale games. I started with Walking Dead season one. I mm-hmm. cried. I loved it. I played season two. I played Four Hundred Days. I played Game of Thrones. I played Borderlands. Tales from the Borderlands was fucking fantastic. So I played a lot of their shit. But it was by the time Game of Thrones was done, I was just like, I'll come back when things are running smoother. When it feels like I'm playing a next-gen game, I'll come back. And it apparently never happened. I mean, we even got Batman for free with PlayStation Plus, and I still haven't even started the first episode. It's like, I, I was always waiting for them to, okay, when they make the next jump in technology. And that's kind of why I never started playing those games, is every time I'd see a game of theirs in, on vi- in some sort of video online, I was always turned off by it. It just didn't feel, it felt lifeless to me. Yeah. And and I probably so sad because they were such good storytellers. Yeah, that's kind of what I kept hearing is like, no, no, no. Like I know it looks lifeless, but like when you get into the story through the characters, like you you really get involved in it. And I just I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't look great. So and it looks odd. And I just never went to it for that reason. And I wonder if they had started going for that next gen stuff earlier, which they really could have been. I mean, it's now been five years since next gen consoles came out. They had the opportunity to be doing this for a while. Yeah. Such I shame. wonder I wonder how much of that was hindered by 
being on mobile and things like that, not being able to get to their next-gen engine yet. I'm sure know. that has something to do with, you know, wanting to literally be available on everything in the world. Yeah. Oh, Holden, that's depressing. Sad stuff. Can we talk but... about things less depressing like Spider-Man? <laughs> Chad, I know you're excited to talk about Spider-Man. Tell me about Spider-Man. Holy fuck, this game is my life. First of all, if you've been following me on any social media, you know that I'm playing it nonstop and I'm posting screenshots every single day because I can't stop taking photos in this game. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. We already talked a little bit about it last week, so I'm not going to go on too long. long. So do you know how I know you were playing Spider-Man? How? Because Because you have a trillion messages in your PlayStation inbox? So I hadn't turned on my PlayStation in... Honestly, probably a few weeks. I've been mostly playing on my Switch lately. And uh, I turned on... Actually, the last time I played my my uh, PlayStation was Heavy Rain. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, it's been a little while. So I turn it on, and I'm going to update things. And I'm trying to download um, some more games to my PS4. And it kept getting interrupted by a message prompt coming up <laughs> all the time. There were message prompts from Chad sending Literally himself screenshots hundreds. of me for... For 10 minutes. Literally hundreds of screenshots. Non-stop notifications from Chad for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because That's it kept awesome. going, it kept saying, Chad sent you an image. Chad sent you <laughs> an image. I'm like, can't you just say he sent me 100 images? Like, don't send me per message. Or That's per just image. the easiest way to get them to my phone so I can share them with the world. They have to fix that. They really do. It's they a do. terrible method. Um, well, I'm glad you're liking Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm like 75% of the way through the game. That's like full game completion now. I, um, That's going pretty quick, actually. Well, I've been playing it a, a, a lot. Okay. So, it's also a uh, yeah, I was, game, I'm I was sick over the weekend, so I had a lot of time to sit down and play it. Um, I was also... I had the day off on Monday. Played it for maybe about eight hours on Monday. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic. It's It's... I can say right now that I'm pretty sure this is the most fun game that I've played in 2018. More so fun it's than not God of better, War. more fun than God of War, but not better than God of War. I don't think yet it's better than God of War. Okay. Again, story wise, I may be about halfway through the game. Okay. But holy shit, the comedy, the humor, his quips are perfect. Spider Cop. Have I told you? Have you have you experienced Spider Cop yet? I know Spider Pig. Oh, Spider Cop is he starts in the very very beginning of the game. It's not any spoilers, but it's one of the stupidest, most amazing running jokes in the whole game. Anytime that he's interfacing or talking to like this police contact that he has, he brings up, "I'm." Uh, so she's like, "Hey, we've got this thing going on over here here this building," and he's like, "Oh, that sounds like a good job for." Spider Cop. And she goes, Oh God, don't do that again. He's like, I'm Spider Cop. I'm going to web up the enemies with my grisly voice. And he just does this ridiculous, stupid Spider Cop gig. <laughs> and it just keeps going while he's fighting people, too. It's just so funny. But the whole game has that kind of humor to it. Hold on, this is perfect. This is the, the perfect Spider Man game. It is the perfect traversal game. It is so fun. It is an amazing open world with so many tiny, accomplishable, addicting collectibles but at the same time i just unlocked challenges and completed all the challenges within like three hours that are also really tough and challenging and have some puzzles to them anyway the whole time i'm conflicted between saying holden you should play this game right now because even though you hate superheroes 
this is still an I amazing don't hate game. Superheroes. You hate superheroes. Let me finish. I, do, I don't hate. You hate. I speak for you. I'm your power of attorney. Oh. <laughs> you hate superheroes. Yeah, I, I hate. But also, this is an amazing game. The gameplay of this is fantastic. But then also, on the other hand, I'm like, if Holden doesn't like this game, that's going to make me judge Holden. And I'm going to have <laughs> negative feelings towards Holden. It's kind of like when I tell my best friend, like, The Leftovers is the most amazing television show ever. But also, if you watch that and you like and you don't like it, I can't be your best friend anymore. So I told him, <laughs> never watch that. Never watch Breaking Bad because I know that he won't appreciate it like I do. Anyway, that's my rant about Spider-Man. The whole time you're ranting about that. And you're just boasting about it. I'm thinking, and 7.8 out of 10, too much water, if you know that <laughs> reference. No, I don't know that reference, but oh. I hate you. <laughs> There's um uh, an IGN review of Pokemon Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, I think is what it was. And they're just boasting about the game and saying how really how it's really good. And then at the end, they go 7.8 out of 10. And then one of the cons is too much water. <laughs> it was just, oh! It's a Speaking meme. of Pokemon... Yeah. I didn't write this on the list, but I have officially completed my Kanto Pokedex in Pokemon Go. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take all of your applause. If you would like to set your phone down, if you're listening right now, and applaud me, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Mewtwo was released temporarily in raids across the world, and I have two Mewtwo's right now. Thank you. And then Chad, a also... couple of regional exclusive, exclusive eggs that you can only yeah. get from friends. I hatched about... 30 to 40 of those and got the regional so that was See, missing. He's, he's stretching the truth a little bit he actually flew to all those countries just because he wanted that pokemon for pokemon go you he know flew all over the world he's a globetrotter now there ain't nothing wrong with that <laughs> remember when pokemon go first came out and there was like the one guy who completed the u.s pokedex within like a week and a half oh and then all God. of these all of these hotel companies and airlines were, like, sponsoring him to fly from place to place because they just wanted to be a part of the news. Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. No, like, man. to Pokemon dedicate Go. that much of your time to, like, you did it over the course of many years. <laughs> like, yeah, you were just, you just enjoyed year, playing it. A little it. over two years. Yeah, you just enjoyed playing it a little bit at a time. But that guy, holy crap. It's not even that engaging of a game, like, moment to moment to be able to be played for a week and a half straight. People it's were not crazy that about it. Though. The game. Do you remember though? Like good that for him. Was, he likes it that much. My, but I, just, I my, can't see it. Some of my favorite memes are like the first two months of Pokemon Go were the closest we'll ever be to world peace. <laughs> and it was so true. You lived in Chicago at the time. Like everyone was oh, playing Pokemon Go on the sidewalk, absolutely. in the parks, on the streets. Police officers on duty at night on the lakeshore, battling a gym in front of me. Like that's. Yeah, the, and they were, like, the cops were, like, with gang members, and they were, like, peaceful. It was crazy. <laughs> One guy was in handcuffs, but they were having him tap his phone yeah. anyway to fight the gym. <laughs> they moved his cuffs to the front of his body, to the back, just to play Pokemon Go. It was a beautiful moment. It was really touching. <laughs> that game has added a lot, though. That to Like, in its defense, over the two years, like, with trading and mm-hmm. with all of the different systems that it's introduced. No, they don't have a great job supporting it. I honestly laugh so hard every time people say, yeah, but I heard, like, the fan base died down a lot. I'm like, yeah, because it went from, like, 20 million people to <laughs> 5 million people. Oh, my God, they're in huge trouble. They actually, I think, had... I'm not... Those aren't real like, numbers. That's just Their numbers guessing. are up now for the first time, like, 
over this time last yeah. year, it's astronom- astronomically higher, and they're but making they're still more money than they ever did. So high, like it was never low. It never really actually dropped. It just does what yeah. every online service like that does. It starts really high and then falls till it finds its base. Yep. Anyway, Chad, we and played something together. We did. We played together. This so rarely happens. Using played, the uh, Nintendo Switch online service, we did. You're right. Which we'll, which we'll have talk more about of our impressions about next week. Yeah. Uh, hopefully with a special guest. He Dark Souls Remastered. Yeah, there was a network test, and Chad was. and I played it. We played it for about an hour. We didn't play it for too much. No, I basically... So you had your choice of, like, four, five classes or something like that. It was, like, six, I think. I don't know how extensive the demo was. It was a four-hour period you could play in. Mm-hmm. But we played for, like, maybe yeah, 45 minutes, an hour, until I, like, died and felt like I got far enough. All I wanted was an impression of, does the game run well on Switch? Are there any stuttering? Does it feel right in handheld mode? <clears throat> and all of his answers were yes. Mm-hmm. There was Felt a slight great. moment Sorry, for me. Sorry, there was a stutter. Sorry. There was a slight moment for me when I first started where it doesn't feel as smooth as a Bloodborne or a Dark Souls 3, but it plays well enough that it was never a problem. And even the yeah. online connection wasn't an issue. Like, we had a slight moment, I think, where we couldn't figure out... We, we, we had uh, Yeah, I was going to say delay where we couldn't get my summon sign to show up so you could summon me. But now that I think about that, that's pretty common when we were playing Dark Souls and Bloodborne Oh, yeah, as well. that happened all the fucking time during so Bloodborne. It wasn't really that much different from what I would expect from a from software game. Yeah. It worked pretty and well. I, I was not that displeased by the graphics and, and look presentation at all, knowing that this is an old-ass game yeah, running yeah. on a Nintendo Switch. Like, it looks it exactly definitely does not look as good as Dark Souls 3, but it looks good even in handheld for what it is. Yeah. I'm a fan. I liked it. I'm definitely buying it. It's only forty bucks. Yeah, you can I'll pre- be purchase it. it now if you want to as well, and save it on your Switch. That way, the moment it's available, you can start playing it. This is the moment. This is the time. <laughs> That's from um, Doctor Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, Broadway mm-hmm. musical. I know that play. No, you don't. It's a musical, not a play. Well, I do know the musical because we did it at my school. You're a liar, and I'm... you didn't go see it. I, I did see it. Okay. <laughs> Who are you? I actually like to go see stage plays. I've gone to a few, and I've actually enjoyed a few of them. No, you don't. You hate them. I saw Lion King on Broadway. I well, saw... It doesn't mean you liked it. And you I, really I liked it. Doing it. I saw Singing in the Rain, actually, and that was really cool. It's at a circular theater. I Singing in the Rain. I, don't, I hate the movie, but the stage play was really nice. They made it rain on stage. It was super cool. And it was if they didn't, I'd be pissed. Is that like a standard thing they always do? I Maybe, I guess, probably. You can't have but a show it, called Sane in the Rain and not have it rain. Well, they could have done like fake rain, but it was like real like water falling. From they did the not theater. summon Poseidon <laughs> <laughs> and make it rain. It was fake rain, Holden. <laughs> no, but I mean like they don't have like a sound effect to make it like sound like it's raining, but it's not really rain. That's what I mean by fake rain. I know it's all fake. I just feel like real water falling. Thank you, Chad. They crashed a hole in the ceiling and summoned the gods themselves to pour Sorry, down guys. upon It started Greece. raining earlier. We just didn't predict the forecast right. <laughs> um, so I have another thing I played, but it's more of something that I bought that allowed me to play in a fun way. Ooh. I got what's called an 8-bit dough controller, which I hate that name, but it's 8-bit and then dough like Nintendo. And it's basically an SNES controller, but it's wireless. It's designed to plug into an SNES Classic and play that wireless. But you can also plug it into a computer if you want to play games on your computer instead. 
Um, so I'm using that to play Donkey Kong Country 2, which we'll talk about next week. Did you get the SNES version or the NES controller? The SNES version of it. And okay. I got the one with the Japanese um, color layout. We got to the multicolor buttons. Yep, which looks great. And and this can also really replace nice. a Joy-Con, correct? Like you can pair this with your Switch. Um, no, not this one. But there okay. are ones. There is an eight-bit dough that you can do that though. Yeah, right? they, I, I looked at their website. They have an insane amount of controllers. It's kind of ridiculous how many there are. But I got this one, and it's really good. It feels exactly like the SNES Classic controllers that I have. It's really, really solid. So I highly recommend it. But um, when using it, I played Beyond Our Barf game, Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest. I played Beyond Super... Our Barf. That sounds like a Lifetime movie. Yeah, Beyond Our <laughs> Barf. Oh, they're... sorry. Keep going. <laughs> she was a lonely housewife. <laughs> Have you ever seen The Spoils Before Dying? I think I made you watch this. Oh, is it the Kristen Stewart, there's... Will yes. Ferrell thing? Yes, well, that was thing? Spoils yes. of Babylon, and then there's The Spoils Before Dying, which is like the, the spiritual successor to it. Okay. They're both just fucking hysterical. So I played Super Mario Land, which is the Game Boy Yeah. Mario game. Super Mario and Land 1 or 2, 6 golden coins? Super okay. Mario Land 1. And it this is... One with the Sphinx? Yes. It is very funny how that game got around the limitations of being on a Game Boy. There's so mean? many things that are just different. So, like, for example, when you throw a fireball, you have to wait for the fireball to leave the screen or hit an enemy uh, before you can yes. throw another one again. You can't go backwards at all. Yep, not it enough just, RAM it, to keep that stuff in memory. Exactly, so it just kind of has to keep you moving forward. But it also means it's a lot easier because they can't keep many enemies on screen. So there's like one, <laughs> maybe two enemies on screen at any time. It is so much easier, but then it... It's harder in the sense that if you die, you have to start the whole game over again. You can't, yeah, like, there's no, like, world those, map. You know? There's no world map. It's actually still fun. It holds up pretty well. There's no world map where you can, you know, go to the next white dot on the map to play that level. Like, that doesn't yeah. happen. You just It's just like the original Super Mario Bros. You just go to the next level, and then you die, you go back to the very beginning again, and you start over, and you just keep going. But the worlds are so short. It's so short. Um, I got to world 1-3. And then the boss showed up. I'm like, oh, this must be the midway boss. No, World 1-3 was the last level of the world. There were only three levels per world. <laughs> and I didn't beat it. I got to World like 3-2 or something like that. Um, I think there's only five worlds in that game. Is there only five or something like that? It's a very, very short game. Yeah, well, it's a Game Boy cart, bruv. No, exactly. Yeah, it's the limitations of being on a Game Boy. But it was still awesome. It was still fun. It still held up pretty well, actually. I'm looking it up right now. I'm curious how many levels there, there are. Have you played Super Mario Land at all? Oh, yeah, I played it on a big, fat brick Game Boy as a kid. <laughs> I actually hated that Game Boy. <laughs> Dude, well, that's that's all we had when we were that age. Oh, there are only four levels, which means there are 12 levels in total. I was worlds. much more fond of Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, and there was, like, the Halloween level. There was the rabbit ears thing that made you fly a little bit. Mm-hmm. There was, uh... Oh, God, that was good. And Wario, Wario Land. That was also a great one on yeah. Game Boy. Fun stuff, fun stuff. God, lots of good memories of Game Boy. We should talk about that sometime we soon. We should. Maybe later on in this episode. All right, I agree to it. All right, cool. We already agreed to it, so that's nice. Moving on. Leaderboard. Woo! So we're doing leaderboard a week early just we're doing barf late. So we kind of switched their place. Yes, reminder, Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest, next week, October 2nd? Um, mm-hmm. write your shit in. If you've played it before, great. If you haven't, 
do what you think Diddy Kong looks like from memory. Sketch that and then take a picture of it and send it to us on Twitter. <laughs> so, two games for the leaderboard this month are Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Dragon Quest Eleven: The Elusive Age. Mm. So, Shadow of the Tomb Raider kind of came out, it didn't, it came then went, I feel. Oh, yeah, that poor game. Yeah. Oh, it's because Spider-Man came out. Yeah, pretty much. So, it got a Metacritic of 78, which is not bad. That's pretty good. It got 40 positive reviews, 14 mixed reviews, and one negative review. And it actually seems like, of the most recent trilogy, this is the best one. And it's because it finds a really good balance between combat, exploration, and puzzles. Where it's really more focused on puzzles than exploration and then combat, kind of in that order. Combat is not something you're doing super often in the game. It really only happens when it's important in the story. And it's actually been kind of shown as a highlight to the game. Interesting. Where it's not like this just running gun shooting affair the whole time. It's really more focused on being a Tomb Raider, which is kind of a cool idea. Oh. Uh, see? See how that that's works? That's like the name of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, but also the the story is is really good. The puzzles are great, and the puzzles also feel fresh throughout. They don't repeat ideas very often throughout the game. So those are kind of the the positives. the The odd thing I kind of found is that no one could really agree on how they felt about Laura Croft as a character, or sorry, Lara Croft as a character. Lara, Lara, and here's what I this is what it seems like to me. She's way better of a character than she was in the 90s when she was basically as uh, Colin Moriarty put in his review she was a character she was just big boobs that's that was her character (laughs) that was it what is my super objective in life two big boobs that is my objective (laughs) two big boobs so she has more of a character because she actually is a character this time around um so people like that a lot however some people were pointing out that her character's not necessarily the strongest. She's kind of unlikable. She's arrogant. She apparently puts the um, her friends into bad situations by kind of manipulating them. She's a little abusive towards her friends. So she's not a great character. She's not like a, I mean a good person. She's not a good person necessarily. She's kind of unlikable. Like kind of what uh, the the idea I was getting from the trailers is like is it it could be possible Lara Croft is the bad guy in this game. Yeah, so they kind of kept saying that a lot of the decisions she's making causes the consequences you're trying to get yourself out of later on in the game. So it's kind of hard to root for her as a character because she keeps causing her own problems. Yeah. So that seems kind of frustrating, but it's definitely a step up from where she was in the 90s. So definitely. like the fact that we can debate her character actions is a huge step forward. <laughs> um, the world felt alive, um, definitely felt like um, each area had a story behind it. Um, and the granular control of the difficulty um, is something that was a big plus. It's something we talked about as a new yeah. story a while ago. And that is that you can change the difficulty for puzzles, for, um, for I almost said for story, for exploration, and for combat separately from each other. <laughs> you can change the difficulty just, of the story. Give me the spark notes of the story. <laughs> <laughs> There's a commentary just like, in this scene, Lara is walking across the room upset about... Thanks, narrator. Do people still read spark notes? Or do kids in school now just go to YouTube and be like, what's up? My name is Jerron, and this is how the the Scarlet Letter goes. All right, this bitch, she cheated. I never thought about that. That's really funny. (laughs) 
But I I did this funny Spark Notes moment recently. I was rewatching like a month ago or so the Phantom Menace review by Red Letter Media. If you guys haven't seen that, it's insanely God, brilliant. Red it's hysterical. I chat hates them, but. Um, they show footage of George Lucas writing the script for episode one, and next to him on his desk are just a stack of Spark notebooks. <laughs> like the ones that you can buy for like Julius Caesar, so you don't have to read Julius Caesar, you can just like read the no notations fear Shakespeare, about it. man. Exactly. Well, not even No Fear Shakespeare, because at least that had the book inside or the play inside of it. <laughs> You're right. It had it twice, one in normal English and one in Shakespearean English. Um, so that is Laura, uh, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. I think what's, Shadow what's of the cool Raider. to note about this one, uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, this is the final of that trilogy. This one was actually yeah. developed by Eidos Montreal instead of Crystal Dynamics, who did the other yep. two. Mm-hmm. I just think it's cool to see that like a different developer did this one and is being praised as maybe the best in the series versus only- something like Batman Arkham Origins where, oh, that's not a Rocksteady game, therefore it sucks. Exactly, and that's something that's been said as well, is that it doesn't feel different than the other ones, and that's actually to its credit. Like, the fact that it's so cohesive with what the other games in the franchise were trying to do, that it doesn't seem super obvious that another developer worked on that is really impressive. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Next game up is Dragon Quest XI, The Elusive Age. It got an 86 on Metacritic, 73 positive, 5 mixed no negative reviews. This and is one of those games that I want to play, but I'll never actually play. Yeah, I, I, I have feel the same way about it. And I had a hard time with the reviews of this game because so many of them would say something that sounds really bad. And then they would kind of come up and say, no, but it's actually good and it works because they do it well. An example is that this, this game is a very traditional JRPG it's very similar to past Dragon Quest games. It doesn't necessarily modernize the main, the mechanics. It's still a very linearly told turn-based RPG. It's very traditional in, in how it plays out. You don't have these like real-time, you know, battle systems anymore. It's pretty yeah. standard for what you'd expect a JRPG to be, even going back to like the SNES era. Um, but they all say, but it does a really good job with it and how it tells its story because of that control, that it's not a bad thing. And they even say, like, even the story's not that interesting. But because the characters are so interesting throughout and animated and have unique personalities that all feel unique, it's fine. It's great. And I love going through the story. And even though I, it was linear and, you know, you couldn't just explore the world at, you know, at, um, at any point, go anywhere you wanted to, when you do get options to go to a side quest they tend to be very off in the distance so it's still linear but you feel like this explorer because you're traveling off the beaten path somewhere else and everywhere you go feels unique and different and you always feel like you're discovering new things so it's kind of like yeah it's not linear but the way it guides you through the world is effective so it feels like a you know kind of an old style jrpg if you're not into that you're probably not going to be into this but if you really like those things it's a really good version of that Cool. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, some of the lo- – even just watching um, some clips of this game, some of the locations are really stunning looking. And you do get a sense that these locations really do vary quite a bit. Not just from like cities and towns, but the locations in between those. The only thing that reviewers kind of pointed out that didn't feel as lively is some of the dungeons felt kind of bland. But there were still scenarios in each of those dungeons that made it – interesting per dungeon 
even though the the design of them felt pretty similar. And then even that same kind of line of criticism or in praise or praise and criticism, no other way around, criticism and praise goes into the combat system. Like, yes, it's turn-based. Yes, it's not very difficult, but things are kind of happening within the combat that makes it interesting from battle to battle. So it seems like it's a good, really good game. It seems like it does everything really well if you like JRPGs. And if you don't... And I do. I do a lot. You may not like such it. such a time commitment. Yeah, this is 60 to 100 hours. Yeah, and I still have Octopath Traveler. Yep, so do I. And I'm not quite maybe halfway through that game. Mm-hmm. Oh, another positive for this is that the, lo- the localization is apparently really strong. Just the translation of everything... Oh, good. They said that in scenes where the tone matters and that characters are either humorous or trying to be dark, none of that is lost in translation. It doesn't good. feel like, oh, that was awkward. Like, it felt like it was supposed to be a dark scene, but they didn't, they all seemed jokey. Like, there's nothing like that because they misunderstood. Like, there's even a character who speaks entirely in haikus and they carried that over through localization. Good. So that's that's really good. That's impressive, especially for these JRPGs, which are really, really long in length. Gone are the days of all your base are belong to us. <laughs> that's all we got for our leaderboards. Leaderboards! Cool. I will probably play both of those games if they are provided to me for free or very, very steeply discounted, and I have a lot of free time. <laughs> so probably never. <laughs> Unfortunately, probably. Even though I legit... I like... I'm legitimately interested in both of them. Mm-hmm. I loved the first two Tomb Raider games. I have played the first four Dragon Quest game, Dragon Warrior games, which I, they're Dragon Quest now. So I'm I'm very interested in them, but I'll just unfortunately never get around to them. I'm more interested in Dragon Quest Eleven than Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but I know that Dragon Quest is still coming to Switch, and Dragon I'd rather Quest play that on S. Switch. Dragon it what? Has an S on it for, it has an S on it for Switch. Dragon Quest Eleven S. Interesting. Yep. I wonder what that means. Like we've Probably taken means the fun stuff out. Shittier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that moves us then into a segment called "What Are You Buying?" I know what you're thinking. We usually do this the first week of the month, but as Holden mentioned, we're moving Barf to next week and temporarily. So, yeah, just temporarily. God, calm down. Come on, Jerson. Calm down. <laughs> um, so Jersey we're moving a couple of things. I don't. I don't know. Probably He's liked not. a few things on Twitter. <laughs> He's actively listening. I can tell. In fact, Jerson, right now, remember whenever you did that Kirby thing, where I on the podcast explained how to draw Kirby in the Notes app on your phone, and then you actually put it in the photo mode, but I didn't realize that at first, and then I was like, "That's fucking brilliant." I want you to draw Diddy Kong from memory, and I want you to take a picture of it and email it to us or tweet it, whatever. <laughs> anyway, back on topic to what are you buying? Holy shit, we have struck the fucking mother load. It is October, and fall is here, you guys. Holiday gaming season starts on... I'm going to try to split this up by date. I'm looking at a, a list that doesn't necessarily group them by date, but I'm going to try to do some... Some mental exercises to keep it there. Are you ready for what's coming out on October 2nd, Holden? No. Well, then, get prepared to get your fucking ass bowled over by these games. okay, I'll do that. This is not even anything. This is not even half of the games coming out on October, by the way. 
but I'm just picking out some major ones. Mega Man 11 coming to everything October 2nd, as is Forza Horizon 4, which is getting excellent reviews. Great seasons. And then the seasons, bought, wait, wait, but do the seasons change everything? They change everything. Wow. If you paid way too much money for Assassin's Creed, you get to play it early on October 2nd. <laughs> and do you remember The Surge, our barf from a few months ago? Mm-hmm. They have a DLC, The Good, Bad, and The Augmented coming to everything October 2nd. On October 5th, we have Super Mario Party on Switch, Assassin's Creed Odyssey on everything else if you paid the regular amount, as well as on Switch in Japan. WWE 2K19 on October 5th. Moving on to October 9th, we have Disgaea 1, the complete edition, coming to PS4 and Switch. October 11th, we see Child of Light come to Switch. That's one of those uh, UB art games. Pretty great, short RPG. Then comes October 12th. We get Call of Duty Black Ops 4, COD Blops 4, coming to... PC, PS4, and Xbox One. <coughs> Luigi's Mansion 3DS, the real standout of the month, coming on October 12th. <laughs> and finally, The World Ends With You, the final remix, which I feel like has been coming out every month for the last 12 months, is finally actually out. It's just because you're so excited about it, you can't wait any longer. That's it. We've made it halfway through the month. Big deep breath. October 16th. Lego DC Super Villains comes to everything. Starlink Battle for Atlas comes to everything with special Star Fox thing on Switch. Woo. October 16th also brings Valkyria Chronicles 1 to Switch, as well as For Honors DLC, the Marching Fire stuff in the new season, as well as NBA 2K Playgrounds 2. A couple days later, on October 19th, Dark Souls Remastered comes to Switch. Ooh, ooh. And Dark Souls ooh, Trilogy ooh. comes out on PS4 and Xbox One. Lame. Also on the 19th, Soul Calibur 6 on PS- PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then on October 23rd, we have Windjammers comes to Switch. I know, yeah. it's an old-ass game, but, no, it's, but it's fun, gr- and we mentioned it. It's a great days. game. I've never played it. actually is fantastic. Is it? I was fun. joking. I don't know anything about it. It's very fun. It. Marvel Spider-Man DLC number one, The Heist, comes out on October 23rd, as does Gwent, the Witcher official card game, hmm, coming out on the 23rd. And then, October 26th, the thing that could dethrone God of War is Game of the Year, Red Dead Redemption 2, ladies and gentlemen, comes out PS4 and Xbox One. By the way, there's some really cool previews up on outlets everywhere, and they're all different because everyone got to play a different little chunk of that game, and it's awesome. You should read it them. It looks so I'm starting good. to change my mind on it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting the itch to buy it on day one. I really yeah. want to play that now. Yeah. Yeah? The first one was really good. I really enjoyed it, and this just has to be better. It's next gen. It has to be better. It can't be worse. You don't know that. No, I, I don't know that. But I trust that Rockstar is making a better quality game. And then finally, on October thirtieth, we have all of these board games: Risk, Trivial Pursuit Live, and Hasbro Game Night are all coming to Nintendo Switch. As is the Lego Harry Potter Collection coming to Xbox One and Switch. Whoa! And Reigns Game of Thrones is coming to PC, Android, and iOS. Oh, they're making... I know the game Reigns. They're making a Game of Thrones version of that? They're making a Game of Thrones version of that. That's too funny. That also is now on Switch. Not the Game of Thrones version, but the original. No, it's not. So that's it. Everything from November that used to come out is now in October, and then November just picked up a bunch of other new shit, so now there's more shit in November, and the time of us wasting all of our money on video games... Not wasting. It's a very worthwhile investment. I wouldn't say it's a worthwhile investment, but it's it's a fun way to spend your time. (laughs) Okay, that investment on our parts has what has given us this podcast, this rabid fan base, 
and all of this money that we make from this podcast. I literally make <laughs> negative money every month from this podcast. <laughs> so wise investment then. You're right. right. I take back what I said. You're right. <laughs> Chad, I want to get into some new stories. Let's get uh, – it's about time. We're 47 minutes into this podcast we, and all we've talked yeah. about is Telltale and Spider-Man. <laughs> um, let's get in some rumors first. We have some fetch quests for some kind of smaller stories. Uh, because we did a kind of two-parter last week – we don't have as much news just because we updated the news midway through the week. But there's still some good stuff here, I'd say. For one, the JSON information for the eShop, which is basically just the log of information on the eShop. Oh, uh, okay. I was like, um, what the fuck is JSON? Um, it's just a very simple explanation for it. I don't want to get into it. But it's, Javas, it's JavaScript, basically. Great. Um, the eShop information updated to show a DS and N64 categories. Shut up. So that is a rumor. It doesn't mean that they're going to release this anytime soon. But if the information's there, wait, it's thinking, a rumor that that stuff has been no, updated no, that, to have no, those the categories. The information it's it's in that it blah. It is there. The information is there. It is categorized as rumor because it's not official information. That Nintendo has said we're going to put N sixty four and DS games on there. Oh, but if they're putting the information shit. on their store, they're thinking about it enough that it that they did that. <laughs> So slap my ass and call me Carol. So it's exciting. I'd actually, I, I think it's odd they chose DS and N64. Like why those two? They weren't the same time frames. Because a lot of the N64 games got ported to DS. Okay, that's fair. That's actually a good point. Well, wait, no, what what was besides Mario 64 DS? That was the only one I thought of, and then I assumed more. So. <laughs> that's the only one I can think of. But that was one they would bring over. So. The other rumor we have is this is, again, this is even a rumor, it's just not official. But the ESRB has rated two Castlevania games for PS4 Symphony of Night, and what was the other one, Chad? Ron something? Uh, Romulus. <laughs> I don't know. Romulus? I don't think it's Romulus. <laughs> I'm looking to pick up the story right now, I can find out. Here it is Rondo of Blood. So they've been rated for PS4. So they're probably coming. But these are some things that have been officially announced. Let's talk about those. All right. Go for it. So, one, this is kind of a clarification on Nintendo's part, and it's still shitty. So, Nintendo um, says that the cloud saves will be held for up to six months after ending your service. However, they are still only accessible with a subscription. So, if you want to get your saves back after you unsubscribe, you have to resubscribe. See, basically, you can, you can only access them if you're subscribing... They'll hold on to them for six months if you decide you don't want to use the service for up to six months. I still think that's your save. You should be able to do what you want with it. I don't know. I mean, it is server space that you're renting. As small as it is. But, like, so let's say it. let's say that this, this happened all the time um, on people's devices that I would see when I was um, in my last job. And that was that people would have their cloud storage fill up on their on their phone. And they didn't want to pay for it anymore, so they would turn it off. And then it would say the message like, hey, we'll keep your information in the cloud for 30 days for you to download down if you want it. And that's kind of standard practice in how these things work. But Nintendo's Holy not shit, hold on. I'm so option. sorry. I'm so sorry. I have to admit, for the last three minutes, oh my god. Oh, <laughs> the joyous Jesus Christ. What? Oh, I officially own a Sony 500 million limited edition PS4 Pro. Seriously? I had my phone open looking at notes, and a tweet came in from Wario64 that said, Hey, that PlayStation 4 Pro is available for purchase at Dell. 
You so got I tapped one? on it and bought it. I got one. Congratulations. I got one. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, got it. Sorry. Uh, I'm just I'm so, so happy. happy for you, Chad. I know that making you very happy. I'm so happy for you, Chad. I'm so happy. <laughs> I got to send this to Alex right now. Continue talking about whatever the fuck you were talking about that I wasn't listening to. I actually want your opinion on this. I'll move on to something else, then I'll, we'll come back to it. Um, Anthem is in alpha right now. And Casey Hudson, um, who is kind of leading the project of Bioware there, um, said that it feels like the studio is making like Baldur's Gate again. It has that same energy they had when they're making Baldur's Gate, which is exciting. When basically said that in, in the alpha state, it means that all of the components that are going to be in the game are in place and they can play the game fully. There are a lot of bugs they have to work out, but the game is fully playable now. And now the team is able to play the game. They're able to um, share the game with each other. And there's a lot of energy going through the studio. They feel like they're making something special, just like they felt when they were making Baldur's Gate. So that's kind of cool exciting. to hear. That is exciting to hear, yeah. Um, that's not usually the kind of thing you hear a developer say like that. Like They usually say, our game's great. I can't wait to release it. But this feels a little bit more personal. I don't know. Um, Hitman 2 trailer shows off Columbia. They teased Columbia earlier. Now they showed off the Columbia level. It looks sick. You're trying to kill three drug cartel leaders who are in the area. Sounds awesome. Um, the So this is an interesting story. Capcom talked about Resident Evil 2 Remake, and they said that because of the enhancements that they've made to the gameplay and to the story, some things are kind of laid out differently, the producers feel like this is a new entry in the game as opposed to just a remake. Yeah, that's exciting. That's very exciting. And I think I mean, that obviously he... it's a little bit of a press like marketing speak so that it's totally, continuing yeah. to stay in the conversation, but but and he kind of means like there are these little touches we're making to the gameplay that add up to a point where we put a lot of effort into this. We didn't just remake Resident Evil. We added things that we feel like are part of Resident Evil going forward. Which mostly are like specific things like when a zombie claws at you and it rips your skin, it does so realistically based on where it actually scratched you. So it'll differ depending on where that a zombie attacks you. Like little things like that is kind of what they say are adding up. <clears throat> the story, are you back now officially? You're like, I'm back. You're, I'm back. Right, your adrenaline rush is, is winding down. The story I wanted your opinion on was... Nintendo holding cloud saves for six months, right? Right, right, right. And what I was saying is, is that the the president, the president for this that kind of situation where you're ending your subscription with something, and that company's been holding that, that information in the cloud for you with that subscription. The standard has been that you can go to their website and download the information within a certain period of time because it's your information. Right, you get it back, and that's not what they're doing. They're Basically holding it within the subscription service saying, yeah, you can get it back. After six months, we'll delete it. If you want it back again, you got to get back in the service. They they're just not offering a way to download that. It's still on your Switch. You don't lose it on your Switch. We're right, but the, the cloud saves themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But Two you, things. Yeah. <clears throat> One, until recently, mostly with social media, that was not a case. That was not a – that was not a, a – a legal standard there were companies that would allow you to do that but it was definitely much like a like a like a, a courtesy that they do like it's not something that was required by law mm-hmm. secondly when has nintendo ever been known to follow the standard on anything this is i i totally get what you mean 
this feels a little bit different for me though whereas this feels hostile to to consumers in the sense that so like all right let's say that you get your switch replaced right through nintendo sometimes before the online service existed you could download your saves from the cloud um, or they, you could redownload your saves again because they saved them for you. There, there were, I feel like Reddit stories that show that happening. It was kind of rare, but it, not all the time. My brother had his Switch sent back. He lost all of his save information. It just depends on, I'm sure, if they can save the hard drive or not. Anyway, um, now they do have an option of saving your cloud, your information in the cloud for you, right? So if you're right. paying for the online service, right, and then you stop paying for the online service, but you still have your save files, it's been three months. You send your Switch in, you get it back, you lost your saves. But your saves do still exist for some of your games in the Nintendo Cloud, right? Right. That's yours. You should be able to access it based on the precedent set by other companies, which because it's a precedent set by other companies, it's a standard standard that people would expect. You now have to shell out money if you want those saves again. You could just download, get the, the one month for a few bucks a month and get your saves and cancel the service again if you wanted to. But that's just kind of crummy. To, to put a user in a situation like that. Can you... I, I can't think of any precedent where even more than a, a few months, like even more than a month or two... Six most, months is a another, long time. It's usually 30 days. That is, yeah, that, that yes. sounds but longer than normal. Hold, but they're holding it unless you give them money. Well, that's the same thing you, you have with uh, with PlayStation. Like your your but one least... gigabyte of cloud or now it's ten ten gigabytes mm-hmm. of cloud saves that is as long as you're subscribed to PlayStation Plus, and yeah, then but... as soon as you're done with that, you can't access those again until you resubscribe to PlayStation Plus. The difference is that I can put that save on a flash drive if I wanted to before that's I the canceled. Difference. And there's there is no other option. Thing. Yeah, there is no other option. I don't have a choice for the Nintendo Online service. It's you pay the money or you're out. That's it. Yeah, I, you're right. I don't I don't think that they're the the fact that hey you're taking up space on our servers and that's space we could be renting out to other people so we're going to mm-hmm. clear that out i don't think that's that's i don't have a problem so bad. with that that's not a problem i think for it's me. i agree my saves are trapped that's yeah, the egregious that's, thing yes i agree yep but no every it doesn't make sense to hold the information for it, they could have done that for a month six months is very generous it's just the fact that yeah we've already said it you get the point um moving on let me get back into my notes here. Oh, I can't believe I fucking got that PlayStation. I I thought I had lost all opportunity, and I just want to take this moment to thank Jesus and my well, mom. I know you're excited about that PlayStation bundle, Chad, but there's yeah. one you missed out on that's even more exciting. And that's the fuck. Red Dead Redemption 2 PS4 bundle that comes with a copy of the game and a standard PS4 Pro. No fucks given. Yep, same here. Moving on. Professor Late in the Curious <laughs> Village is coming to mobile. That's exciting. Also, That's cool. no fucks given. I'd like that game. That's a good game. It's coming to mobile. It's 10 bucks. It's worth the money. Moving on. Xbox games with gold includes Overcooked and Hitman Blood Money. There are two other games as well, but they're not as important. AKA, I've never That's heard of it. them before. We do have one game potato. Ooh, a G-Petite. And this is for a new Nintendo patent was filed. Oh, what could this be? Is it going to be a new console? Is it this handheld that they're apparently working on that they shouldn't be making? What could this patent be for? It turns out... Bubblegum. That'd be more exciting. It's a light 
that you can control with a control apparatus is what it says in the patent. And the light can get dim, and then it can get bright. And in the morning, and it can get really bright to wake you up. Oh. The patent was rejected. So they're going to submit it again. <laughs> because this exists already. This is already like accessory you can get for your smartphone, where it's an alarm clock that gets really bright to wake you up in the morning. It's a really dumb patent, but it's a great headline. New Nintendo yeah. patent. Oh, what's that going to be? It's a light bulb. It's, it's a light bulb. And and also, too, like, why would we be excited about a patent that was rejected in February and they haven't resubmitted it since? That's not exciting. That means that they had an idea for something and then they were told no, so they're not going to do it. Yeah. It's it's, it's a really odd thing to get excited about. Anyway, that's the game potato for the week. We have one quest before we get to our main quest. And it's more of just... Some things I thought that uh, Chad and I could discuss. Not even really a story. Um, the small little clip of the story here is that Insomniac making the Spider-Man game, there is a comment around it saying that the Spider-Man game is like the Iron Man of Marvel games. Meaning that like Iron Man back in 2008 started the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So suggesting that Spider-Man is going to spawn off all these other Marvel games that are maybe connected, I don't even know. But it just means there's more Marvel games coming. Yeah, I think I think the spirit of the comment was more like, this is the starting of a new era of Marvel video games. Yeah. Similar to how Iron Man was a new era of mm-hmm. Marvel movies. Yeah, it's not necessarily they're connected. My question is... And I think is, that's, that's kind of clear from the direction they've been going and the, and the studios they've been partnering with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's like that Avengers game that we haven't heard about yet. Yep, all we know is that Crystal Dynamics is working on it, which is why they didn't do Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yep. So that's coming at some point. I'm assuming they probably have more than one. So I have just a few questions here for both of us. So when is there any other Marvel games being made? The Avengers one, the only one we know of. Um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was the only one that was a Telltale there? game. But that I, that last year to little. I don't think fanfare. that's what they would be referring to when they say that Spider-Man's going to spawn off these other Marvel games, though. No. Um, so I guess who would you want to see make But that's make all a, in development. Yeah, there's not much we really know about yet. Those are the other ones. But who would you want to see make a Marvel game? Like, who do you think would have a good take on it? Obviously, Sucker Punch. Having come off of... Of course. There are three, kind of four if you count Last Light, mm-hmm. um, uh, infamous games. Mm-hmm. They have excellent um, pedigree with traversal, superpowers, combat all that kind of stuff too and some pretty good storytelling as well so they are obviously a shoe in um seeing some of the mechanics of anthem obviously gives me iron man vibes like that could make for a cool iron man game but i don't think that we would have we don't have bioware creating an iron man game no but we could see like respawn making that yeah yeah they make titanfall exactly yeah titanfall yeah but they're already making that, that star wars game so they won't be making anytime soon, but it does mean they would be work, willing to work with IPs that aren't their own. Yeah. So you said so in terms of characters, you're thinking Marvel. Oh, uh, I mean Iron Man would be a good character, which of course would be awesome. If you, I Iron mean, Man I just game. thought Iron Man based on Anthem. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess if Insomniac made something, I what would we want to see from them? I'd love to see a Daredevil game. A really like some kind of interesting take on Daredevil. You know, obviously he's blind. How does that? Well, remember work that game made world? by the Bioshock, former Bioshock developers. 
was it the horror game based on sound? Oh yeah, it could be like that. No, and that was a bad like game. Let's not have it like that. <laughs> but I would that, love to see like what that game looks like and what kind of interesting twists you could put on it. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting because you could do a lot of. I just feel like with Daredevil, they do a lot of things like what do they call that? What's the term? Like they call it like Eagle View or something like that in Assassin's Creed when you can like see enemies behind walls and stuff. What do they call that? In oh, in Daredevil. Not in Daredevil, but, like, in games in general. Seeing enemies through walls? Yeah, you can, like, do, like, your focus sight or something like that, or your instinct sight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's different for every game, like okay. you mentioned. Is there, like, a... Ter- Eagle Vision. But is there, like, a blanket term for it? I guess what I'm Seeing enemies through walls? X-ray vision? Sure. I don't know what you're looking vision. for, Holden. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I yes. feel like it would just play out like that. Like, that's how you use your listening powers as Daredevil. Is you, just... you know what it would, would be kind of cool? Like, an indie title made by um, uh, Mike Bithel, who made Thomas Was Alone, but also Volume, which was basically like the Metal Gear Solid VR missions, mm-hmm. and like a stealth puzzle game okay a stealth puzzle game, like top-down stealth puzzle game with daredevil i think that would be super cool along the line of volume that'd be interesting i'm gonna pitch that to him right now i'm gonna tweet <laughs> i'm gonna tweet mike bethel and say we think you should make a daredevil game and we're gonna do it from our respawn name fire account and everyone else retweet it make it go fucking viral with our rabid fan base <laughs> I had a, uh, a pitch for a Marvel game as well. And I was thinking it'd be really funny to do a Octodad game. Where the point oh, of the game, God. Octodad, is you're trying to go through life without people realizing you're an octopus. Doing that kind of game, being Bruce Banner, doing normal daily things, trying not to get pissed <laughs> off at everyone, and hulking out. If you hulk out, you lose. That's it. And you have to like grocery shop, you have to go to the DMV... You have to do all these things successfully without getting pissed off. All right. It'd be a good game. Cool. So I'm moving on. my tweet to, my, to Mike Bethel. Well, I'll introduce us to the main quest while you do that. So we had some another sad story. We started off with Telltale ending. Now we have another thing ending, and that is the Vita. Very sad to see a console go away. I like the Vita oh. a lot. So we want to just do a little goodbye Vita, and then we're going to rank the handheld consoles from bye, Nintendo bye, and PlayStation. Just like we did the PlayStation Nintendo consoles in the past already. But yeah, so production for Vita is ending in 2019. <laughs> what are your oh, thoughts, man. Chad? My thoughts are Parks and Rec is great. That's very Andy relevant. Dwyer is great. Super relevant. Uh, I honestly, I'm surprised that it's taken this long to discontinue. Yeah. It just seems weird to not have the Vita being sold, even though I haven't played one in a while. Yeah. Um, they, I, like, I, mean, I like first the party gave up. First party gave up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And they left it to third parties, and eventually it became an indie machine. And it was a, a wonderful machine. It's fantastic. But yeah, the, it just lost first party first party for support a while ago. You can't mm-hmm. find it in stores anymore, and not because it's selling out like crazy, but it's because no one's buying it. The yeah, companies just don't want to stock it. Exactly. So yeah, I'm surprised it made it this long. It mm-hmm. had a good run though. 
Had a good run. I yeah. Think it sold just about as much as the Wii U. It sold more, actually. It sold 16 million units. Well, look at that. Fuck you, Wii U. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I missed Just Dance 2019 is also coming out in October for everything, including the Wii and the Wii U. <laughs> I thought it was skipping the Wii U, but it was still coming out for the Wii. Still coming out for the Wii U. Wow, that's really sad. So, yes, yeah, so I'm going to miss Vita. There were some really good games on the Vita. Luminous Electronic Symphony was fantastic. Golden Abyss was better than the original Uncharted, I thought. Oh, Golden Abyss was fantastic. Great game. About Killzone Mercenary. Yep, Killzone Mercenary. Gravity the best Rush Killzone game. was fantastic. I loved the crap out of Gravity Rush. And I'm just going to open up my Vita right now. I have it right beside me. Okay. Do you want a, a fun game, kind of underrated, um, was Unit 13. It was a third-person shooter where you would have just a few minutes to do a level, and you kind of had to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible. And you, it was one of those games that when you got a level down and you could just walk in and headshot all these guys silently without them seeing you, and you do your mission and get out quickly, it was a really satisfying experience. That was a, that was yeah. a good game. I like that so, game. So looking at my, my Vita right now, first of all, I think the game that most people, like probably the biggest game on Vita, Persona 4 Golden. It was, I had the numbers, it's not the biggest game on Vita, but it is uh, the biggest in terms of like mind share and all that kind of stuff. Like yeah. the reason why a lot of people got a Vita. But then half of my gaming library is PS1 classics. I have mm-hmm. Breath of Fire 4, Final Fantasy, Mega Man X5, Suikoden 2, Chrono Cross, Metal Gear Solid, all of these things on this Vita. In addition to things like PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale. <laughs> Uncharted Golden Abyss, Borderlands 2. Oh, that's right. Borderlands 2 came out there. But didn't that run terribly? No, it actually ran really well. They had to make some sacrifices to like enemy counts in order to make it run. I don't but know why. I remember it totally ran fine. terribly. There were a lot of first-person shooters that came out in the Vita that were just should not have come out in the Vita. Like Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified was awful. Well, that was just a bad game. Resistance Burning <laughs> Skies was terrible. There were some... Bad but then you get like games on uh, that as well. What the Switch is now is what Vita used to be, and that was the Indie Machine. Yep. You got Spelunky, Axiom Verge, Retro City Rampage, Thomas Was Alone. God, you had Resogun on here. Forget about Resogun. Well, that was Resogun was also on PS4, and that was one thing that the Vita was really good at was connecting to your home console. You could play. Yeah. You know, I think didn't you play Bloodborne on your Vita when we were playing together at some point? Yeah, we played Bloodborne together. I I played the majority of Batman Arkham Knight from remote play on my Vita at work. It worked really well. Yeah. And in fact, this not exactly the Vita, but the Vita TV, which is the same gut, same console. I played Spider-Man PS4. The, my first experience with Spider-Man was remote play on a PlayStation <laughs> Vita TV. Quick question about that. Since you played it on both PS4 and PS TV, what is the quality of graphics difference like on a PS TV? Uh, well, it was 720p while it was streaming. Okay, and it but seemed it was, to keep that resolution pretty consistent? Yeah, I didn't notice any kind of artifacting or glitching or anything like that. That's impressive. But obviously the biggest difference is seeing it in HDR, especially because most of that game is in golden, it's like takes place in golden hour, mm-hmm. and be, seeing the goddamn gorgeous colors and shadows and things like that on my OLED TV, there's, there's no replacing it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to Vita. What a marvelous piece of hardware. Absolutely, An yeah. OLED screen. It had an OLED screen on in it. In 2012. In 2012. Dual analog sticks. 
Yes, they were small, but they worked pretty well. Yeah. The back touchpad was weird, but some games took surprisingly good use made surprisingly good use of that. Right, we talk about we've talked about Tearaway quite often on this as well. Tearaway, Electronic Symphony, uh, Luminous Electronic Symphony, you would use it to tap to the beat of the song, and that was really really effective for engrossing you in that song. Like I actually tap to the back of my Switch when I'm playing Luminous on my Switch, which I've not been playing nearly as much cuz the library in Electronic Symphony was so much better of songs. It was so much better in Electronic Symphony than it is in Sounds like you need a Luminous. Vita. I know, I still really want to get a Vita. I'm I'm itching for one. Just for Luminous, that's that's really it. Lumines. Lumines. Yes, I want to miss the Vita. Do you want to go through the history of handhelds, starting with the Game Boy? Hold on, I think that's a great idea. Let's rank the handheld consoles. We've ranked Nintendo consoles, we've ranked Sony PlayStation consoles, and now I think we're going to rank handhelds. Yes, I have two questions for you before we get started. Okay. And then I have kind of just numbers of like... When the uh, system came out, how much it sold in the top 10 games. We can do top five if you want to save time. Um, but I wanted to do a game on game show with you. I was going to do five questions and then just time slipped away from me. And I have two questions for you. Great. <laughs> Very engaging show. So number one, which Nintendo handheld was the first to be sold in America before it was sold in Japan? Oh, so it went on sale first in America before Japan. Uh... Yes. Are we talking about generations, or does that also include, like... Yeah, we're talking about the generations. So, like, yeah, not like... You wouldn't include Game Boy Advance SP I'm going to say Game Boy Advance. It was not Game Boy Advance. Oh, remember when I was, like, 5 for 5 for the Sony one? Yep, you're not going to be 2 for 2 anymore. Sorry. Damn it. What was it? It was Nintendo DS. Oh. Yeah, I was very surprised about that one. Because even the 3DS still came out in Japan first. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's the only one to come out in America first. Second one is what was the only Nintendo handheld handheld to have Pokemon as its best selling game? Ooh, that has to be the DS. Has to be the DS. Yep. Zero for two. Oh no! But if you switched your answers, you would have gotten it two for two. It was the Game Boy Advance. Oh man, Ruby! What was that? That was Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, and Fire Red and Leaf Green. Yep, those are literally the top two selling games on the Game Boy Advance. But interestingly oh, enough, man. the DS Pokemon doesn't come number two. It doesn't come number three. It doesn't come even number four. The first Pokemon game is number five on Nintendo's Whoa. DS's list. Yeah, it's very interesting there. That's so um, crazy because the DS was. I don't I actually don't know how many numbers the GBA sold. Well, we'll go through but that I right now. But I thought DS was there. Oh, okay. Ooh. ooh. Yeah. So let's start with the Game Boy. So quick note about Game Boy and Game Boy Color stats. They link them together for total sales of the units as well as game sales. So the top 10 lists and the, um, the um, total sales for Game Boy and Game Boy Color are exactly the same. Okay. Some differences. One, Game Boy, the original came out July 31st, 1989. These will all be American release dates. Crazy to think that before the 90s, we had handheld gaming devices. Yeah. It was $90 at the time, which with inflation is $182 nowadays. And came with the game. And it came with the game, which was Tetris. And it sold, so Game Boy Color and Game Boy together both sold 118.89 million units. That includes the Game Boy Lite, which is a backlit Game Boy option, and the Game Boy Pocket. So, the best-selling games. Number one was Tetris with 35 million copies. 
Number two is Pokemon Blue slash Green slash um, Red with 31.38 million copies. Number three, Pokemon Silver slash Gold, which is a Pokemon color only game, 23.1 million copies. Super Mario Land, number four, with 18.14 million copies. Number five was Pokemon Yellow with 14.64 million copies. I think it's strange that red, blue, and green are linked together as one, but yellow is not included in that. That is interesting. Um, and that's a trend. Like, crystal is separate from gold and silver. Um, but if you included yellow and Pokemon red, blue, and green, it would have well surpassed Tetris for number one. Number six is Super Mario uh, Land 2, six golden coins, with 11.18 million copies. Pokemon Crystal, number seven, Game Boy Color only, 6.39 million copies. Eight, Dr. Mario, 5.34 million copies. Number nine, Pokemon Pinball, 5.31 million copies. And number 10, I think you called this out earlier, Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3. Yeah. 5.19 million copies. And that's the same exact thing for the Game Boy Color. Some differences to the Game Boy Color, though, it came out November 18th, 1998, so about nine years after the Game Boy came out, which is a very long cycle. It cost $70 when it came out. Dang. It's so cheap. That was $107 nowadays with inflation. So crazy. And, and the then, PlayStation Vita cost $249. We'll get to that. Actually, that, oh, that's actually that should be another question is what was the with inflation, what's the most expensive console? Oh, with inflation? Who the fuck knows, Holden? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just it's uh 3DS PSP. actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, 3DS that's surprising. Um next up was Game Boy Advance. It came out June 11th, 2001. It cost $100, which is $141 nowadays, and it sold 81.51 million units best-selling games pokemon ruby and sapphire top the list with 16.22 million copies pokemon fire red and leaf green were at number two with 12 million copies i'm gonna do top fives because these are a lot of games and we have a lot more than playstation did um pokemon um, emerald was number three with 7.06 million copies number four was mario kart super circuit with 5.91 million copies and number five was super mario world Super Mario Advance 2, with 5.69 million copies. Three years after the Game Boy Advanced, the Nintendo DS comes out. So three, actually, Oh, that's right, because they had the three-pillar strategy. Yeah, well, it, interestingly, though, Game Boy Color was 98, Game Boy Advance was 2001, also a three-year period. So yeah, very, very Boy short Color cycles. was like... Game Boy Color was like the new 3DS is to the 3DS. Yeah, but it did offer more than those did. The color was a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, so Nintendo DS came out on November 22nd, sorry, 21st, 2004. It was $150, and that's $198 with inflation. It sold 154 million units. Holy crap. Woo! So number one was Super, New Super Mario Bros. with 30.8 million copies. Dogs is number two, which is all the yes. versions of Dogs <laughs> with 23.96 million copies. I think it's up there because each of those games didn't sell well, but there just happened to be 23.96 million variants of Dogs <laughs> in one person by each copy. That's how it sold so many. Number three was Mario Kart DS with 23.6 million copies awesome version of mario kart first version of mario kart with online oh number four was brain age with 19.01 million copies and number five was pokemon diamond and pearl 
with seventeen point right. six seven million copies. I would have figured Black and White would have been uh, would have sold more than Diamond and Pearl. I think everyone everyone that I know of prefers Black and White over Diamond and Pearl. Forgot Brain Age. I, that was like a time when like. People are like, I'm going to give a shit about my mental health. And everyone's exactly. like going in there, I'm going to train my brain so hard. And then they figured out it's useless. <laughs> I was totally done. Like, your brain age is 26. Great. Yeah. What does that mean? It was dumb. Next up is the PlayStation Portable, PSP. So Sony is now entering the handheld market. This is on March 24th, 2005. It costs $200. Media disc. Yes, UMDs. And with inflation, it costs $260 nowadays. It sold 82 million units. The PSP did great. You remember when they tried to... Well, the PSP did great in large part to the homebrew community. Yeah. But do you remember when they tried to make UMDs like a legit format? Like, not only were they used as, like, the games for the system, but you could buy and rent movies on UMD. You could go to Blockbuster... And you could be like, oh, I want to rent, uh, I don't know, Deep Impact. I'm going to get it on UMD for my PlayStation Portable instead of a DVD. I, when I got my PlayStation Portable, uh, it came with a copy of School of Rock on UMD. Well, mine came with Lords of Dogstown. <laughs> <laughs> I got the better movie. Yes. <laughs> so, the top five best-selling PSP games... Should be no surprise that number one is GTA Liberty City Stories with 7.67 million copies. Number two, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, back when Sony had Monster Hunter portably. And that sold 5.47 million copies. Number three is GTA Vice City Stories with 5 million copies. Number four, Monster Hunter Freedom 3 with 4.87 million copies. And number five was Daxter with 4.16 million copies. I loved Daxter. You know, that was a game that I always looked at when I went into GameStop, but I never got it. It was a good game. Actually, it's probably my favorite PSP game that I played. Actually, well, I'm going to go through and list the top ten here for PSP, right. only because there are a few more games I mentioned that I really loved that I wanted to, to talk about. Which is one of the other ones is next, and that's number six, Ratchet & Clank Size Matters, 3.7 um, the 3 million uh, copies sold. That was a, that was my first Ratchet and Clank game that I played. That game was an absolute blast. It was probably the best game that was. The PSP had all these like spinoffs of the PS2 games, where they weren't yeah. the full game, but it was close enough, kind of like Daxter. But I feel like Ratchet and Clank Size Matters did the best. We had Chains of Olympus, God of War, Chains of Olympus, and Ghost yeah. of Sparta. All right, to be fair, that game did it the best. Those but, were full, yeah. But Ratchet and Clank Size Matters is one that. I appreciate it the most. Number seven, Midnight uh, Club 3. Number eight was Gran Turismo. Number nine, God of War Chains of Olympus. And number ten was Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. Did you play Crisis Core? Yeah. That game was great. It was a really good game. It was an action RPG that played really well. It was pretty long, if I remember. It was like a full 3D Final Fantasy game. It was awesome. God, I remember... Sorry, speaking of Chains of Olympus... I remember when they, like, announced that it was coming, and you could get a demo of it, but this was before the days of, like, the PlayStation Store. Oh, this really where you got a disc? I don't, I don't think it was at all. Yeah, and you, like, went on the website, you registered your email and sent me your address, and they sent you a demo disc in the mail, <laughs> and it had, like, the first level on it. God, That's that hysterical. was so cool. My, when my stepdad moved in um, to the house after he married my mom, 
he brought his PlayStation, his original PlayStation, and he had a demo disc of like all these different games, like Medi Evil, um, uh, Metal Gear Solid demos. It's just like the first level of all these different games. I'm like, that's hysterical. That like there was someone at PlayStation who had to curate these demos and put them on a single disc, and it was just like something they'd have at GameStop. Just to hand out when you got yep. a subscription with Game Informer magazine or something. Or you got them, yeah. You you got them in magazines a lot of the times too. Yeah, that was hysterical. I wish they had more demos. I liked game demos. You don't see them as often anymore. I feel. God, then you got that PSP Go, man. PSP Go was ahead of its time. It was, yeah. It was definitely way too ahead of its time. It that could was only digital only. You had sixteen gigs of memory in it. That was just not enough. And it was a, it was a screen. It was totally enough. I actually, I had the PSP, and then I had the PSP Go, but it also had like the, like the Sidekick phone. You had the slide up screen with the controls underneath of it, and then you could slide it back down. The screen was smaller though, and that's why I didn't like the Go. Yeah, I also had. You could have your whole music library, and I did. In college, I think my freshman year of college, I had all of my music on my PSP, and we would drive around, and that's what was playing my music was my PSP Go. Not an iPod. Nope. You remember, like, the one Although of I had, three I people. I had an iPod Nano at the time. And you preferred the PSP Go. Interesting. Yeah, because I had that PSP Go with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was so good. And I, rem- I remember taking my PSP Go around, and there were people like this girl, Carrie. She's like, oh, you have Spyro the Dragon in your pocket? And she would like, whatever we're doing, you let me play that, and then you guys can talk about schoolwork. I was like, okay, whatever. And she would play Spyro the Dragon on my PSP Go. God, I miss that system. Do you want a system you couldn't play Spyro the Dragon on? What? A Nintendo 3DS. You're right. Do you want to talk about 3DS? Let's go to 3DS. 3DS. Three dick sucks. <laughs> 3DS is great. Really, no, DS great. just means dick sucks. There's a, there's a place called DS Tequila here. It's a restaurant and bar in oh. Chicago. And my roommate and I call it Dick Sucking Tequila. Oh, okay. Just because DS means dick sucking. Well, just like the Dig Sucking Tequila place, Nintendo 3DS <laughs> came out on March 27th, 2011. It cost $249, which with inflation is $282 today. It has uh, sold 72.89 million units thus far. Did they update that recently, actually, to something higher? I don't remember. I don't know. Um, top five selling games. Number one was Mario Kart 7 with 17.21 million copies. Number two, Pokemon X and Y, 16.31 million copies. Number three, Pokemon Sun and Moon with 16.12 million copies. Number four was Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire with 14.10 million copies. And then finally, number five, New Super Mario Bros. 2 with 12.7 million copies. Uh, Do you know what surprisingly is in the top ten best-selling 3DS games? Tamadachi Life. Oh, man. Okay. 6.25 million copies. I mean, 3DS is fucking huge in Japan, so... It is huge in Japan. Uh, I love the 3DS. I think it's a great system. I think it's pretty good, yeah. Pretty good. It's the only one of these systems that will still be around next year. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, finally, and then we'll for do better our... better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. And finally, for our uh, last one, before we get to our ranking, is PS Vita. It came out February 15th, technically speaking, but it also technically came out February 22nd. Because, like, you can get it a week early if you got the 3G version. Right. Um, so, technically, March, February 22nd. But I got mine a week early. That was 2012. Because you got suckered into that AT&T 3G version. I didn't end up paying for any service in the 3G version. I just wanted it a week no, early because I'm a sucker. Yeah, it was $50, yeah. 
Um, it costs two hundred forty nine dollars, two ninety nine for the three G version. With inflation, that's two hundred seventy six dollars. It sold sixteen million units, and the best selling list is really sad because all of these so far have been like it sold seventeen million, it sold thirty million. Oh yeah. The number one best selling game on the Vita is Uncharted: Golden Abyss with one point four seven million copies. Womp womp. Womp womp indeed. Number two is Assassin's Creed Three Liberation, one point two seven million copies. That was an awesome game from Vita, by the way. Number three, Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified, 1.26 million copies. Number four, Little Big Planet PS Vita, 1.14 million copies. And number five, Persona 4 Golden, 990,000 copies. What a dang good system. Dang good system that no one bought, and apparently... I thought tons of people bought games on the Vita, but man, like the best-selling game didn't even break a million and a half. Yeah, that's that's not good. All right, well, hold on. How many of these did you actually ever own? Um, I had a 3DS. Obviously, I had a Game Boy Advance. I had a Vita. I had a PSP. I've had all of these except for a Game Boy. I've had all of them except for the DS. No, oh, cool. Yeah, I remember. I've told the story before about like the Harvest Moon, how I lost my Game Boy, and then mm-hmm. I had to play with one that was not color, and I cried. And my mom's like, I was like, we got to go get a Game Boy that has color on it, so you can see the egg on the carpet. <laughs> um, so many good memories, so many different versions of. The, I've, I had a the You're... first Game Boy Advance I ever had was pink, because that's all they had at Media Play, and then I remember I ended up giving it to my sister, and then I got a white one after that. The Game Boy Advance SP, first of all, the first one with a rechargeable battery in it. Fuck it. And the clamshell design. And a backlight. And a backlight. That's... See, I had a Game Gear. Game Gear! I don't know. We'll, we'll leave that off this list. But I had a Game Gear. And that was the <laughs> thing about it. It's like, it had the backlight. I could play it in the car. Speaking of accessories for all of these things. Did you ever have any crazy accessories? I had the little light that you would plug into the top of a Game Boy. Oh, yeah, the little light. And it would light. just shine this obnoxious like <laughs> glare back in your face. It was awful. How else are you going to play it in the car, man? Well, no, this is how I play it in the car usually, is I would hold up the Game Boy to the street lights and just I'd see it as street lights passed. <laughs> you pause the game in between street lights? Yep. Not that I would do I that had, far, but, yeah. On my original Game Boy, I had... A magnifying glass, because mm-hmm. they had those little things you clip onto the top, and it had a little magnifier to make the screen bigger. And then I had the light, and then I also had uh, the Gauntlet 2 was a game that I got on it. It was a very rare Game Boy cartridge, but I got it on eBay, and I got it for my Game Boy. And when you played it, the sounds... Like, there's a, a, a person in the game is like, Red Warrior needs food badly. When he talks, if you just listen through the Game Boy speakers, you couldn't understand it at all. It was like... <laughs> so I got this stereo speaker add-on. So I had a magnifying glass, a flashlight, the stereo speakers on top of the already <laughs> giant-ass Game Boy. That thing must have weighed six pounds. And, of course, yeah, but, always had the back of it lost, so it duct taped the batteries in. Oh, yep. I did the same thing with mine. I think yep. everyone lost the little back battery <laughs> yep. holder. But oh, it, man. He had to use, memories. For the original Game Boy, you had to use four AA batteries to run it. 
But it would last forever. Yeah, I, I was looking this up. It lasted 30 hours on a, on four AA batteries. Versus my Game Gear that would legitimately on six AA batteries last about two hours. Yeah. That's why the Game Boy killed it, because it was not nearly as powerful as any other handheld. It was really weak in comparison, but it was smaller, it was uh, cheaper, and it was better on battery life by a lot. And the games were great. It was Nintendo games. Yeah. All right, hold on. You want to rank? Yeah, we have seven seven consoles to rank here. Let's start with seven. We'll go back and forth, starting with you, Chad. Number seven. So my number seven is the Nintendo DS. Because you didn't play it. Part of this is biased because I didn't play it. Yeah. But also, so many iterations of that console are just hideous, and they're bulky as fuck. The original DS is the ugliest handheld ever made. It is so ugly. The 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 touch screen on it is so awful. Like, mm-hmm. the, it's it's just bad. It was resistive touch. To be, exactly, I think it's, I think it's yeah. a better criticism of the 3DS because DS came out like before iPhones, before smartphones had those glass capacitive touchscreens but 3ds was like well into that era it still didn't have it um so ds is at the bottom for me uh obviously i never had it but also like the game library uh, uh, that's obviously sold 156 million or whatever system so everyone mm -hmm. else bought it but i feel like it's the weakest of the hardware yeah um i I did just say that the ds was the ugliest but i was gonna finish the thought you didn't let me finish it that's not your fault uh, I was going to say, with the exception of my number seven, which is the Game Boy. I think the original Game Boy is very ugly. Minus the purple buttons are kind of cool, but it's a really it's ugly system. It's so iconic, system. though. It's iconic, but it's kind of <laughs> ugly. Like, it's funny. If you hold it next to a Game Boy Pocket, it's like whole, it's like when the iPad came out in 2010, and then iPad 2 came out in 2011, and iPad 2 was so clearly better than the iPad yeah. 1. It's kind of like that to me where, like, yeah, the Game Boy, it's really cool. It's really iconic looking. Oh, my gosh. But then now it looks like a piece of shit compared to the Game Boy Pocket and on. Yep. Um, obviously, at the time, they couldn't make it look that good. But that was still a great system. I just didn't play it as well, which is why it's my number seven. I don't really have there we go. a lot that's of games. The Chris, that's the yep. criteria for number seven. Yep, Did pretty you play much. It? Nope, there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, number six, Chad, what's your number six? My number six is the Game Boy. Oh, Okay. I mean, obviously the the green and black screen on it, uh, the fact that it wasn't backlit, mm-hmm. all of these things. It was it was really cool and revolutionary in what it did. But uh, yeah, I think of all of these systems, it's my number six. Mm-hmm. Mine's the Game Boy Color, kind of for similar reasons. Where there were some problems with it. It didn't have a backlit screen. You know, that was kind of a problem. Like I would sit in bed with my three D. Uh, I was my DS with my Game Boy up to the window so I could. Just have some light from outside yep. to play with. Like it definitely was is not good um, for that. But also thinking back to, there weren't really that many games on the Game Boy Color that I was like ecstatic about. Like Pokemon Gold and then the two Zelda games. I guess three Zelda games. There's four games in that system I liked. Oh, man. It is my number five, so it's going to transition. But I... I have so many fond memories of games on that system, like Zelda, the Oracle games, uh, Dragon Warrior Monsters, Dragon Warrior mm-hmm. Three. Those are all really good games. There just weren't a lot of them. Is my is my point? Yeah, but yeah, there are some. Those Oracle Seasons, Oracle of Ages were fantastic Zelda games. Yep. And that Atomic Purple Game Boy Color, man, fuck yeah. That is, if if I will say this, if the Atomic Purple only came in, in Game Boy and it wasn't on other systems later on. 
totally would have pushed it higher for the atomic purple color. Really? I, I love the atomic purple. No, no, wait, wait, wait. There's the transparent purple, and then there's like that pure purple. The the opaque purple, I think it was just like purple, and then the clear, transparent purple is the what they call atomic purple. Okay, see, I like the other purple more. I don't okay, like the atomic gotcha. purple as much. It's cool looking. Don't get me wrong. I just love that pure purple. The opaque well, your mom. purple. What's your number five, Holden? My number five is the DS. For similar reasons as the Game Boy Color, yeah. um, there just aren't that many games I think back and go, oh, yeah, the DS was great. You had Super Mario 64 DS, which didn't work as well as it did on N64 because it, it only had a D-pad to work with. You had the Spirit Tracks Zelda games, um, or the kind of the touch-based Zelda games, which were kind of the weakest of the bunch, I'd say. But then you had some standouts, like the new Super Mario Bros. game on DS was really good. Mario Kart DS was really, really good. So there's more games I'd be willing to play on a DS, I think, over a Game Boy Color. Yeah. But I didn't mention all of them right there. But there are, there are some games in there that are just the weakest of the franchise, I'd say. Mario 64 DS. Mario 64 is really good. Mario 64 DS I don't think is as good. Excuse me. And then the, the Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks are just by far some of the weakest Zelda games. And then also that brings ugly. us to number four, Quattro Sanos Tienes GBA Game Boy Advance for me. Um, I think the two designs that they had of that, the SP and the regular GBA, were super cool, and they had a lot of really great games on it. A lot of them were kind of like Super Nintendo games that mm-hmm. were remade or reworked for the GBA, which I think was a really cool thing to be able to make, take those portably now. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I have fond memories of that little guy. Also had a little snake light for him too. That's the one I had my stake light for was the GBA. Great stuff. My number four is the PSP. PISPA. The PISPA. Really good system. I like the PSP a lot. There were some fantastic games on it. I was always in this period when in the DS and PSP era where I'd just go back and forth and I'd sell my PSP to get a DS and then I'd sell my DS to get a PSP. Well, I'd just trade it in at GameStop. Oh, you were a real gust out. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah i i could never settle but looking back i think i had more fun with my psp just because i i hadn't experienced anything like it like ds games looked better than game boy advance games they were quote-unquote 3d not all of them were most games were 2d but the psp had like real console like games for the first time on a handheld and that was a yeah. really cool experience it only came out a year after the ds there's some fantastic games on there. Liked my PSP yeah. a lot. That is my number three, the PSP. Weird. And it's for all of those same reasons. One th- weird thing about the PSP. Yeah. I always thought, when I first picked up a PSP for the first time, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't move my character around. I have this D-pad up here above this little speaker nub. And like, no, that was the control nub. I thought it was a speaker. Before I like really got my own PSP, I thought that that little nub was a speaker and not the joy. That's uh, that's um, I wouldn't have admitted that. I, I did, I'm admitting that. It was very <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Woo, Holden. I think we're done. I think we're done working together. I was 12 years old when that thing came out. Okay, not even I was 11. Okay. I hadn't turned 12 yet. So PSP I, again. I had so many great memories of it. The fact that you could take PlayStation One classics on the go. Mm-hmm. fucking awesome that was also you know i had mentioned i had my 
music library on it, you had games like Metal Gear Solid. You had games like uh, like God of War Chains of Olympus. But you also had the homebrew community, so you could download ROMs and put them on there from pretty much anything you wanted. But what I also really loved about it was that was my first exposure to comic books, oddly enough. Oh, interesting. Because PSP had its own comic book store. And you could go in there, and it's actually similar to what Comixology does now, where it kind of guides you through panel by panel, and it shows you one panel on the screen at a time. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded and read a shit ton of X-Men comic books for the first time. So it was the first time I read comic books on my PSP. It was just so versatile. So many, And as we talked about, it had UMD movies on it. You could get your Memory Pro Stick Duo. Yeah, it was kind of the first device that really tried to be in your pocket, all-encompassing media. Yeah. And that's why my PSP Go did earn a spot in my pocket. Because mm-hmm. you could play movies, you could play music, you could play games, you could do all sorts of shit. Read comics. And UMD was a superior platform for media consumption. Absolutely. It was the absolute best. <laughs> and then the Go came out and said, nope, digital, y'all. Get that yep. memory stick duo. What's your three? My three is Vita. Vita. I just Vita. liked the Vita a lot. There were definitely problems with it, but it just it felt like such a future device when it came out. It had a quad core processor, which is like crazy for a for a portable device at the time. It had yeah. a gorgeous OLED screen. It had two joysticks. It was kind of like it, it's everything I loved about the PSP, but better in every way. It had better graphics. It had better control input it had some really unique gameplay experiences that i really wish or gameplay um input mechanics that i wish more developers took advantage of i really liked the back touchpad i thought that sounded really gimmicky and it turned out to be very gimmicky but there were some developers who were able to use it in a non-gimmicky way that really did add to the experience and i just wish more developers did that with it because i really loved how it was sony trying something really unique in the handheld area, as opposed to only saying they wanted to do console games on the go, even yeah. though that was definitely still a part of it. There was something really exciting with the Vita. I don't think it lived up to the excitement in the way that the PSP did, obviously, because the PSP actually sold well and had support throughout its entire life. But man, the Vita was just a really exciting system. There's still some really great games. I think it's probably what I would consider the most underrated system of the ones that I play and enjoyed. Yeah. So I love the Vita. Number two on my list is the 3DS, Nintendo 3DS. Oh. This one, this was my first DS system, was the new Nintendo 3DS. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it, the amount of, like, what you can get from that system, like, the amount of power that it's able to output at such, like, I mean, it's obviously not the most powerful system, but what the developers are able to get from it to get a full version of Super Smash Bros. running on it on the go was -hmm. fantastic being able to play Ocarina of Time and these things like that on the DS, on the 3DS is pretty cool. And as a person who generally, like, really, really enjoys 3D, like, I have a 3D T. I have two 3D TVs. It works well. It does. And it works well for, for a lot of games. And I'm not going to lie. the very fr- It had a 3D camera on it. And I've taken pictures of my junk in 3D just to see what it looked like. It's pretty cool. 
So if you have a 3DS, take a picture of your dick or vagina in 3D. <laughs> You'll be surprised. You admitted that, Chad? I would Oh, yeah, I admit that. I'm a very curious person. I've taken portrait mode photos of my wiener before just to be like, I wonder how that works on a dick. Turns oh, out I was works. just saying that because you told me that earlier. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, 3DS. Um, the, the thing that makes it not – well, there are a few things that make – Obviously, the only one I haven't said is PS Vita. There are a few things that make 3DS not quite as high as it could be. And one of them is it's still kind of the build quality a little bit. Like, when I'm playing it, I'm aware it's a toy that I'm taking on the go, which is a plus and a minus. You know, I'm not super, like, stressed out about it. Like, oh, my God, this fragile thing in my hands. But also, the way the hinge feels, the way that when I'm playing it, that circle pad, the way it feels. I never really feel like this system was meant to be played and is the ideal way to play these games, which is why it's number two on my list. Okay. I can see that. What's your number two? My number two is Game Boy Advanced. GBA. The GBA. GBA. And I think it's because when I think about playing my Game Boy Color games, this is why I put the Game Boy Color down pretty low as well, I think more about playing them on my Game Boy Advance I played actually to think about it, like I played Ocarina of um, Ocarina, um, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. I played both of those games on the GBA. I, I I had them first on my Game Boy Color, but I beat them both on my GBA for the first time. And I it was the stupid thing of you could hit the R and L buttons and it would make the screen go wider to fill up the wide screen of the Game Boy Advance. And like I felt like I was getting more of my Game Boy Color game than I was before, which is really stupid because mm. it was just widening the image and thinking back it even looked that great but it was kind of cool as a kid to like oh i have this game i had before widescreen now yeah i thought that was awesome and i just remember for the first time seeing the screen in the middle and the controls in the left and right i'm like oh that makes so much more sense than having screen on top and buttons on bottom do you have the image yeah, okay. that was a lot of silence you just put there. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure if you were, like, not sure what I was saying. Um, no, yeah, I had a GBA. Okay. I had both versions of it. So I just really liked the Game Boy Advance, but also you were seeing a lot of good innovation for the Game Boy line at the time. Not just with the Game Boy Advance, with ESP, with finally seeing backlighting coming to the Game Boy after literally, like, a decade of their competition doing that kind of stuff, and then not doing it yet. Um, you also had... The, um, the rechargeable batteries with the Game Boy SP as well. That was great. But then as you were kind of mentioning earlier with the SNES games, like Link to the Past, I played that for the first time on GBA. That was an amazing experience to play in GBA. Such an incredible game. You had the same thing, you had, like Super Mario um, World games were on there. You had the Advanced World games were on there. Metroid Fusion, Metroid Zero Mission. Like There's so many awesome games that were on the GBA. I about Metroid Fusion. Oh, Metroid Fusion was great. Day and date yeah. with uh, Metroid Prime. Great, great system. And you already ruined it. You already said what your number one is. My number one, the PlayStation Vita. And I think the reason that I came to this is because, one, even when I still hold it in my hands right now, like it is a premium-feeling handheld console. Build quality on it is excellent. It's a well-designed machine. But what I love about it is, one... It is my the system that I immediately think of when I'm like, I want to play an indie game or I want to play a JRPG. I want something on the go with me. Like The fact that it's compact and portable, like that's my ideal experience with those games. 
and that's I love playing it on there. But the fact that I can play PlayStation One games, I can play PlayStation Portable games, I can play PlayStation Vita games, and I still play PlayStation Four games, all on this one device, just astounds me. It's incredible. I freaking love it. And f- until maybe what now, like almost a year ago. You could even stream PlayStation 3 games to it with PlayStation Now. Like, that was a pretty incredible piece of technology. And it's still one that every time I hold it, right now compared to the Switch, I'm like, oh man, this is kind of tiny, a little smaller than I remember. But it's still like, I enjoy holding it, I enjoy using it. I feel like the the joysticks are super smooth on it. It's great. It's great. Lots of little memories on that thing. And I can play so much. That's my number one. Cool. Well, I'm going to tell you why you're super wrong and why 3DS is actually the number one handheld console. Ooh, go on. <laughs> change <laughs> no, my I'm, mind. No, I'm kidding with you. I'm not, not going to change your mind. Um, so I, I think that as a Nintendo fan, the 3DS would, of course, kind of be my favorite just because I'm a Nintendo fan. But it's also the – I feel like it's like the culmination of everything Nintendo had been working on with handhelds where it maintained that kind of clamshell design they had of the DS, which I really like the design. I actually still kind of miss it a little bit. Um you had Virtual Console coming to it, so I could play my my Game Boy Color games on there. I could play GBA. Uh, I could play Game Boy uh, games on there. I was able to play some GBA games on there because I was in the Ambassador program. I got my 3DS day um, not day one, but very close to day one. So when they dropped the price, it's kind of like the apology to people who paid the full price for it. They gave them. 20 games, 10 NES games, and 10 GBA games, and they never released any more GBA games on the the 3DS. That's a shame. So I had, like, Metroid Fusion on there. I had Minish Cap on there. Um, I had Golden Sun on there. Oh, Golden Sun. Hell yeah. So um, I just, that was a cool experience. That's kind of more personal to me and anyone else who was in th- that program. But, like, going thinking back now, like, I have every single 2D Zelda game on that on that device. Every single one of them. I have Pokemon um, Yellow version as well as Silver version on there because it's part of the Virtual Console. I kind of feel like, you know, I didn't mention this too much looking in my looking back at the list, but like, I know I did mention this. Like, I like my Game Boy Advance because I could play my Game Boy Color games on there. I could go back. And 3DS, I can play just about anything on it for the most part. And that's kind of cool. I like that a lot. All and right. Then, then outside of that, um, the 3D effect is cool. It doesn't enhance. It does enhance certain games. Link to the um, Link Between Worlds is really cool in 3D. Luigi's Mansion is awesome in 3D. It's actually the only reason that I think I might break my rule of not getting new 3DS games anymore, is because the 3D was so good in Luigi's Mansion 2 on 3DS. I want to see that again for the original Luigi's Mansion. Do you remember when you also had a rule of not buying any new games until you got through your Yeah, backlog? I break rules. <laughs> I live dangerously. I'm a rebel without a cause. <laughs> um, so my 3DS, 3DS is my number one handheld console. All right. That has been our ranking of all handheld consoles ever made, including the most important ones and the non-important ones. And then anything else that you come up with is wrong. Holden, we are gone almost two hours right now, and we've got a few less yeah. things left to get through. So this has been a, a doozy of an episode. Yeah. And thank lo- you for sticking with us, everyone. A lot longer than for I thought th- it was going to be. Yeah. We've got our end game coming up right now. Woo! Welcome to the end game. We've got a few sections. This is where we connect with our community. Community, speaking of, like, you know, 
celebrations and things like that. Um, and Game Boy. Pokemon Red and Blue came to America 20 years ago this week. Uh, and there's a really interesting article that our friend Daniel Regira, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago from Tequila, uh, he tweeted at us today an article from Polygon. I think you guys should all go read it. I won't kind of dive too deep into it. But it was about how Red and Blue weren't just amazing games. They were a perfect fit for the Game Boy hardware. It's a really interesting read. Yeah. Go take a look at it. It's kind of him sharing his personal experiences of the game, but also just making, making the point that – or be kind of questioning, would Pokemon have been as successful as it is had it not been for Nintendo's hardware? Absolutely so, not. Cool stuff. Um, speaking of tequila, by the way, uh, I was on the tequila podcast last week. It should Ooh, be – round two. Um, actually, he's airing it – um, he just texted me during the podcast. He's posting it tonight. It'll be up tomorrow morning. So if you want to listen to that, uh, feel free. We talk about Android versus iOS, but we got really drunk by the time we got to that point. So um, we'll return nice. to that conversation later on to actually complete our thoughts. And then we talked about the new so um, Apple event with the new iPhones. Kind of shared thoughts on that. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that ah. stuff and not being, not being video games, or if you just want to hear me get drunk, we went on for two hours and... A little bit of the podcast, you have to take a shot every 10 Jesus minutes. Jesus Christ, two hours? We went two hours, yeah. So, Oh, my it God. Was, it was intense. I'm glad I was sick for that one. Yeah, you got sick. You, you didn't make it. You would have been having a lot of, uh, was it, pre-workout? That pre- you had last yep. time? Yeah. So I'm bouncing off the fucking walls. Look out for tequila. That is like tech and then kila. So look out for that. T-E-C-H-Q-U-I-L-A. Boom. Speaking of Pokemon and the 20th anniversary, our poll was related to it. It said, which has been your favorite Pokemon over the two decades? You get four choices that I chose for you. Pikachu, Arcanine, that new fucking ditto nut thing, <laughs> and Agumon. If you haven't been following Pokemon Go is it Agumon or Digimon? Out, yes, it is. <laughs> I can't believe I caught that. And it um, tied with Pikachu. There's a brand new mythical Pokemon that will be in Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu, as uh, revealed by the Pokemon official Twitter account today. Like, that is just a nut with an eyeball it's on top of a ditto. With, yeah, it's uh, me- mel- Meloton or something? Yeah. And it has melatonin? Cord it's as a called blood. Melatonin. Yep. You're right. Uh, over half of you, 55%, said that new fucking ditto thing is your favorite Pokemon <laughs> of the last two decades. <laughs> Agumon came in second place with Pikachu at 18%. And Arcanine had 9%. Next up is where we play a game called Game on Game Show. Sometimes we have two games. Most of the time we just have one. Here is BuzzFeed Presents Which Bullshit NPC Are You? Based on the novel Push by Sapphire. (laughs) Where we take a Cosmo-style quiz and then arbitrarily assign which personality and which NPC we most align with. Are you ready, Holden, for this week's game? As ready as I will ever be. We've got four questions this week. Question number one. You get a new weapon in a game. What do you do? Option one. This is my weapon now. I will use this weapon for the rest of my life until I find a new one. Option two. Nah, fuck off. Wooden sword for life, yo. Oh, no. I wouldn't use that weapon until I get the next weapon. I'm not going to keep my wooden sword. All right. What about your three heart challenge fucking naked Zelda runs? Well, in a normal mode, I won't do those kind of things. Okay, okay, good to know. All right. Each of these answers, by the way, has a, uh, an arbitrary value that I assigned, and our end results will be based on the addition of those values. Question two. You kill a big daddy. What do you do with a little sister? Option one. Suck the life out of that bitch. With great power comes fun ways to kill bitches. 
too. Let her live. I like a challenge and also like getting killed a lot. Every single time I've played Bioshock, I've always let the little sister live. Pussy. Question three. Which armor do you wear? Option one, plate armor because you're bad at combat and want to soak up damage. Or leather armor because you got finesse, but you also chose some pansy profession. Well, you know how I play Dark Souls and Bloodborne, so definitely the strong armor so I can take a hit when I just rush into battle. (laughs) Yep. And then finally, question number four, final question. How do you get to your next quest marker? Option one. This open world is beautiful as fuck, and you're going to fast travel the shit out of it so you don't have to see it. Or you're going to trek through forests and swamps, swing from buildings, and fight everything because apparently you don't have adult responsibilities to attend to. Is there an in-between option? Because I kind of do there is both. Um, there is not. I'm going to say I'm I've, I'm going to travel there directly. I'm not going to fast travel. So not fast okay. traveling. Gotcha. All right. So based on those findings, Holden, you have two, three, four, five, six, seven points. It feels like a lot. That well, yeah, you got the uh, the the most valued answer on most of these, Ooh. which leaves me with one, two, three, four, five points. Seven versus five. With seven points, that earns you the NPC of the fucking thief monster. <laughs> Anytime we face off in battle, your yellow-bellied self immediately flees from the fight. First of all, I didn't even want to fight you. You approached me. I was walking across a field trying to deliver some stupid book to another stupid castle, and then you come along and randomly encounter my ass, and then you have the audacity to flee? Fuck you, you piece of shit, wasting my time. That's your NPC. I'm sorry, Chad. Mine is Kugel the Creep. I can always... Oh, sorry, I'm going to read this from third person. You can always be found hanging out deep in a dungeon somewhere right next to the boss's lair. While I'm grateful that you're there to sell me potions before I fight this big bad, you know what else I'd be grateful for? If you called the fucking cops. If you had told anyone that there was an evil dude hanging out down here and you knew exactly where he was and what he was doing, seems like that'd be a good thing to let someone know, you fucking prick. Let's Google the creep. This has been BuzzFeed Presents. Which bullshit NPC are you based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire? Again, not associated with BuzzFeed or the novel Pushed by Sapphire. (laughs) And finally... That brings us to, at the end of this crazy episode, our participation trophy. Participation trophy, how can you win it, Holden? Good question. I'm Holden now. You can do three things. Once per week, you can submit a uh, review on a podcast service of your choosing. Boom. Points added to our raffle. You can refer us to a friend, refer a friend to us. Or an enemy. I don't care. Just let people know we exist. Let them know on Twitter. Tweet us. Boom. You both get points. Or you can interact with us on any social media. Anything more than just a like or a vote gets you an entry for that week. Holden, we had... I'm loading the spreadsheet. We had 10 entries in this week's... Whatever the fuck we call this. Participation trophy. Are you ready to find out who wins $20 for the gaming service of their choice for the month of September? I don't think I can handle it, Chad. Hey, Siri. Pick a number, 1 to 10. 5. Between 1 and 10 is 6. Ah, 6. I was close. Which is... Tunic at Drawbean. He won two, two years... Two years ago. He won two years for the podcast. Congrats, Tunic. You get another $20 to the gaming service of your choice. If you would like to knock him off that pedestal, because he's won two out of the last three months, he's also you won can do all of those things. Another 
what, 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 was, what was the thing we did? The photo, photo mode. Modes. You won a photo mode photo as well. He won two photo modes because he's great at those too. Yeah. Dude, you're getting all my money. Great. Wonderful. New fresh round starts next week in October. 20 bucks can be yours. Jesus Christ, that's a long episode. We're done. That's it. That's all we've got. That's it. That's all I can do. If so we, if we just took last one more minute, I think it's going to be two hours, I think. No, it's not. Yeah, I think so. It's not holding. Jesus right. Christ. Fine. We gonna, almost made it. We'll just end it. We'll just end it. We'll just end it. I give up. Play give Donkey up. Kong Country 2. Y'all, fucking goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>